Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien, with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Guess with on the planet, G. I'm so excited that we got it finally this lockdown. I've been waiting a while. To oh, talk. my God. How are I, you? I'm awesome, man. Sorry about last time. I didn't realize that Pacific time and Mountain State time sometimes isn't the same thing. Because I guess Arizona doesn't do daylight savings. And that kind of Fs with, you know, the time zone here. And when you went in, I'm like, am I an hour early and am I an hour late? Because... We're usually an hour behind you, bro. It's all good. This Sunday, we're changing the clock, so get ready today for mind blown again, bro. I just (laughs) found out today. I was like, man, why isn't the sun up? And then my wife goes, oh, don't worry. We're changing the clocks on Sunday. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. See, I've been waiting for that for like a few months now. I'm like, oh, it's not ready yet, so I'm glad you uh, prepped me. Now now I'm prepped for the week to know that things are going back and it's going to be like a two hour difference. I'm from back East in the New York, New Jersey area. Where so exactly? Uh, Morristown, New Jersey. It's about 30 minutes outside Manhattan. You yeah, know where that is? Yeah, for sure. I'm originally from Chicago. I'm new to California a year and a half. Oh, totally different. I'm sure. I'm sure you're loving the weather full year round. The weather is the weather and the environment is uh, the best. I must, uh, Say I'm in Southern Orange County, and uh, we have very few rainy days here. Maybe one thirty days a year. 
See, and it's nice to, I mean, when you get used to it, sometimes I'm like, eh, I could, I could use some fall weather right now, going back east, maybe go back for a weekend. But for the most part, I don't regret. I, I live out in Phoenix now, so it's like nice. literally oh. 90 degrees every single day. Like, you can't beat that. No way. You feel better. You want to move around more. And uh, there's less skyscrapers here and more access to vitamin D. Yeah. And I really believe that that is why people in cities are usually unhappy or rather inconsiderate. Mm, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, especially from your neck of the like Chicago is known to be one of like the cleanest cities in the nation, but at the same time, crime rates, all that other stuff. Yeah, we're like clean, but we story. kill. So shit, what do you want? I'd rather have garbage on the street yeah. like Manhattan than dead bodies. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword for sure. I mean, New York, not that much better. Probably a lot worse back in the day, but, you know, it is what it is. But uh, I, I guess uh, just to jump right into it, I don't want to waste too much of your time. I'm thankful. And no, I'm excited to be with you and be present with you for this next hour, King. It's I've been looking forward to it, like I said, a while. Awesome. I'm glad that, uh, again, it was Jeff Lopes who put me in contact with you, you know, you guys talking back and forth about, you know, uh, things about entrepreneurship, how you got to where you are, you know, life lessons that you've learned along the way. So I kind of wanted to just jump right in because the last time uh, we interacted again, like about a month ago when you were trying to set this up, you sent me a list, uh, as you probably do with everybody, of guests that you'd like to have on Alpha Hippies, right? So obviously shooting you know, above and beyond to the stars, right? Which is what everybody should do, you know? For you know, sure. just looking at some of the guests, you know, Kanye West, Joe Rogan, uh, you know, McConaughey, Tom Brady, all of these guys. It's like, that's what you should shoot for. You know, yeah. I've talked to Jeff about this multiple times too when it came to uh, booking guests, that you should have those dream guests in mind or else you're never going to grow as a podcaster, content creator, entrepreneur, whatever it is you're doing. You have to set the bar somewhere, you know, and everything along the way will be satisfying and, and you'll be grateful for everything that you've had leading up to that. Uh, so who would be your number one guest that you'd want to have on Alpha Hippies? On my show? Yeah. Oh, man. Truth be told, my father. Really? Yeah, I, I have to tell you the truth. Of all the people that I'm fascinated with, I would love to have a discussion with my father where he didn't look at me like I was his son. Mm. Just have a beautiful, open conversation, Guy Cisco and Angelo Cisco, where he didn't think he had to be my son, and that also he didn't ha- wasn't concerned with sharing or being open about his own life. To me, that person that would be the my most fascinated uh, person. I've been asked this before, and wow. most of the people are taken back because they. They want to look for someone necessarily with a high amount of fame or like Joe Rogan or Michael right. Jordan is my favorite athlete or things of that nature. Yet it's, wow. it's just me and my dad. I would love to sit down for an hour and have a chat with just Guy Cisco and let him be as open and honest and vulnerable as he possibly could be. What other person am I more, you know, when it gets down to it, to me, I'm, I'm more fascinated with who my dad was before I was born and his whole life and what got him to be and believe what he believes and, and all that stuff more than I am about any other figure on earth. Wow. I mean, yes. I mean, some people would be like, Oh wow, that's an interesting guest that you want to have on or like, you're right. Like someone would look at, 
you know, like a Tom Brady or someone who's just like ultra mainstream platform, your father, because I know I, I listened to your interview with Jeff before, you know, talking about, you know, the rocky relationship up and down experiences that you had with your father growing up. That's a very interesting uh, take and dream of yours because it wouldn't like you'd want it to be from the perspective of him, like not being your father and you two just kind of hashing things out through the experiences that you've had. Yeah, just, you know, chopping it up. Hey, guy, tell me about what it was like with your dad. Tell me what it was like with your mother. What did you experience going through grammar school and middle school and high school? And tell me some stories and, and all that stuff. Anytime I could even get my dad to open up a little in that way, I'm all ears. I, I perk up and can't wait for him to share, a, you know, a retro story. And so to have him as a is a guess that I could have a container that we could unpack that. It would be my privilege and an honor. Did you ever get to know your grandparents, his mother and father? I did. I, I was very young when they both passed away, under 10, I believe. And uh, I did, though. I did get a chance to meet them and be embraced by them and, and a, from a young age, just not as a man. So what do you think, because again, like listening to that interview, talking about some of the experiences that you had with your dad, the life lessons you've learned from your dad, whether it was, you know, as a young boy all the way up to now, um, how would you say how your relationship with him evolved over the years? Again, going from something that was kind of unstable to something where you could look back and be like, oh, now I get it. Now I get why he taught me that. What a great question. When I was a young boy, I was more caught up in the methods than the lessons. Yeah. Because the lesson, the methods is what I felt the most and couldn't reason through them as a young man. And it took me a while and even to have my own son and grow in entrepreneurship, grow into a marriage, grow into being a father that I eventually was able to let go of them. And that's something that I wish I did early on because I would have appreciated him more and not wanted to rebel against him so much or think such poor thoughts of him in general. It was a lot of time that um, I don't regret yet. It was wasted time at the same time. Mm. Now, looking back, were there obviously some moments where you're like, that was... I don't want to call it a poor parenting decision, but like looking back at it now, like there's certain things that you look back at as a young kid, you know, young adult, even teenager, adult, mid early twenties, that you'd be like, Oh man, like that, like that was not a great parenting decision. But now you look back at it years later and you're like, yeah, I understand why he did that now, as opposed to, yeah, that was just poor parenting right there. Like I would have never done that with my child. Yeah. From a very early age, I was taught to be uh, very aggressive. And although it serves me well to not live in fear, right? So when there's something that my dad took on the role of being my biggest bully, and I really believe that it's important for a father to not turn into the friend or be the friend all the time. And when a son could stand up to his father. What he's basically saying is he could stand up to the world and nothing could break him. And my father only knew one way to teach me that was through being aggressive and at times violent, both verbally and physically. And that was how he 
knew how to get through life and knew how to teach. And so I, it took me a while to unpack the, the methods, like I say, because, you know, getting verbally and physically uh, abused or violated doesn't feel good, right? To get yeah. called certain names or shamed or hit or whatever it is, you know, and beaten, you know, it just, it doesn't feel good that way. And, and coming from your father, there's such an interesting um, relationship with, with boys and their fathers where there's nothing in the world that I really believe that every boy wants to do to make their father proud. And there's also a competition between boys and fathers that the boy wants to overtake the father's role. Uh, there, there's something called the Oedipus complex where it talks about how the boy wants to replace the father to marry the mother. And I have a little son right now who's two, two and a half. And um, when I hug my wife in front of him, he wants to stop the affection because he wants that role from there and so there's so much unpacking there and at the same time he wants to do things to make me proud so there's a competition aspect but then there's i want to make you proud and then what happens also too then that's why oftentimes when a boy grows up his father isn't necessarily the mentor it's like an uncle or something close to that and then that that fires usually into the father sometimes taking on jealousy that they're getting mentorship. The, his own son is seeking mentorship in other avenues, which then creates more conflict or just tension in the relationship. And so there's so much in a father-son dynamic, and that's why I'm so, um, as a coach for men, I'm so um, deeply looking at it through my journey, through other men's journeys, and that's why I say I would love for my father to be the guest because what's the best way to understand and and develop empathy is to have conversations so you could learn and understand that person's story. Mm-hmm. And then once you could empathize with that person's story, then that creates the path for love, connection, forgiveness, compassion, whatever way you want to go after that. How would you navigate that interview though? Like, would you obviously you know the guy like you understand the experiences you had with him both good bad and different but how would you go about asking him certain questions to get him to open up about stuff that you didn't know my first question would be is what did he think of his father Mm. like if you had a right now looking back your dad's been passed away over 20 years you know growing up what do you what do you think about your dad? How would you rate him? You know, and really just hopefully getting him to unpack that, and then I then I would ask the same questions about him and his mother, mm-hmm. and and really just begin embodying uh, you know just his his role and how he saw himself as a boy grow into a man through his eyes. Do you think that you'll take any of the attributes that your father had into being, you know, a father for your son, again, a young kid, but at the same time, you knew what was wrong, you know what's right, you know how, you probably know how you want to raise him, you know, in the right way that where he not only feels loved, but at the same time, 
you do have to be the disciplinarian to where it's like you have to like this is the way the world works this is the way i want to set you up so that you can achieve your ultimate goal and whatever that may be 10 15 years down the road whenever he decides i would do my best to teach all the great lessons just with different methods and um i'll be real with you uh jick is uh I have such a challenge with my son at the moment because I see this beautiful young boy that gets to play and be innocent and do all these things. Fair, uh, farewell knowing that one day it's my responsibility to put him in a position to remove his innocence mm. and, kill, and kill the part that I'm in love with at this current state. And so it's, it's so interesting for me to look at this boy and just see him having fun and living this carefree life and having no worries and no fears and not understanding nature and his role in nature. And it's my job to keep him in that state for a period of time and then remove him from that state and uh, to think that that's really my role. I share that with my wife all the time is your role is to keep him in this beautiful state. And I'm not saying that your job is easier because right now you do a lot of tough things, but I have to kill this boy's identity in some way. And that to me is the toughest, um, the toughest part about knowing and understanding fatherhood for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, eventually everyone's got to go through shit that tests their morale, you know, their overall character. Like, that's the cycle of life, you know, and it, I don't think that there's any right way to do it. Like, you're struggling with the fact that one day I'm going to have to kill his identity and, like, literally show him what the world is about. You know, not only the great stuff, but the tough stuff that's going to put you through some hellacious times. You know, everybody goes through it. Uh, I, I I, I really, again, I'm, I'm a young kid, can't really relate. But at the same time, like if I was ever in that situation, I don't, I personally don't think that there is a right or wrong way to, I mean, there's, I think there's definitely a wrong way. I don't think that there's a right way to go about it. Cause you don't know how they're going to react. Right. It's uh, I have to put him, not I have to, I choose to put him through something like a rite of passage where the only person that he could, that he sees as his hero or that he could count on as himself mm. and remove me from even being a hero, his hero, so that he could be his own hero. Because if any he see ever sees anyone, myself, or anyone above him, any man above him, he will look to have a dependency on someone, uh, over-dependent, a co-dependency, right? Not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have mentors and guides throughout yeah. our entire life, but those will be to get to specific places. But to have someone that's just an ongoing mentor basically means you're buying a daddy. And mm-hmm. it's up to us as adults to become our own daddies. Oh, well, I mean, 100%. Everything lives and dies within you. Like you are your own master, your own CEO, if that's relatable in business terms, yeah. I, I think it's very difficult. Like, yeah, it, it's definitely like you want to be that guy that he can rely on. Like shit hits the fan. He needs someone to talk to. There you are like at a moment's notice, but at the same time, like you're going to have to handle your shit one way or another on your own in order for you to truly figure it out. Totally bro. And that's, 
that's a sad and it's my duty and I will fulfill it. And at the same time, emotionally, it it brings sadness on me. It weighs heavy on me. Do you think, uh, well, you probably know this, given that you've had the experiences, you know, just being an entrepreneur in the business world, again, trying to help people through what you're doing. How, how much of your relationship, not only with your father, just like with the experiences you had growing up, helped mold who you became as a businessman later on? Because again, like you went through a lot of stuff that most people uh, don't really go through at a young age, starting from seven years old and beyond. You know, like what do you take along from that journey that still sticks with you today in business? Yeah, absolutely. What a great question. And uh, I recently wrote my first book and it's in editing right now. And the first chapter of this book is all about that. And have you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Oh, yeah. All right, beautiful. So in every hero story, there's an anchor, uh, a, a certain part of us that we develop our inner hero. And our inner hero is developed in trauma, and we develop this superpower from what we what wound up helping us survive from the trauma. And so... Forrest Gump, early on as a boy, he's picked on. The movie scene, he's picked on by the bullies and they're throwing rocks at him and he's got the braces on. And and Jenny tells him to run and it's real slow, right? She says, run, Forrest, run. And he's trying to run with those braces on and then all of a sudden they break free, break, he breaks free from the braces. And there's a moment that he doesn't realize that his body doesn't need the braces anymore, that he's actually running. It hasn't caught up to his consciousness. And then he looks down and he sees that he's actually able to run and now he knows that these bullies can't hurt him any longer. And you see it in his face as a boy and it's that feeling of resolve, of knowing that you have something and so he has something inside of him, something that he could do to overcome the bullies. And then the rest of the movie, it's him showing that. And then when it clicks back to his adult saying it, he has the same smirk on his face because he's reliving the resolve. And then you saw him go play football. And what did he know to do? Run, forest, run. He was in a bad situation in Vietnam. He knew exactly what to do. Run, forest, run. Right, he he keeps running and keeps moving, and then that's how he faces his bullies. And there is downfalls to him staying in that too long, especially when it came to his relationships. Yet when it came into moments where he must survive, he kept resorting to running, and that's how he survived. And all of us, I really believe, have gone through something. Uh, we just don't recognize that moment as that in our lives. And until someone has consciously picked it up, just like Forrest, there will always be a block in that resolve and that, that that's inside of you and that you know what to do when there is no other moment. And uh, we see this time and time again in stories and in cinema. Forrest Gump's a great example. Another great example is Kill Bill, 
uh, volume two when she gets in the coffin mm. and she's freaking out. And then she settles down and remembers the moment of being with Paime. And he taught her that little punch. And then she winds up punching through the coffin. But she relives it to feel that resolve. And then she goes, okay, I know what to do. And she just, she goes, I've been here before. I know exactly what to do. I'm safe. I'm no longer scared. And then she punches herself free. And it's important for anyone on any level, especially if you're diving into entrepreneurship, something risky or scary, that you know that about you because then your self-esteem, which will certainly be tested through areas of self-doubt, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, am I worthy? I mean, the list goes on and on depending on where you fall in that spectrum, but it's all a question of yourself and your own self-esteem, which you believe and know about yourself. And everyone needs to understand their anchor story, which then leads them to what their superpower is is when what they will do when their back is against the wall and they only have themselves to rely on. I mean, those two movies that you just mentioned right there are two great analogies for the, the point you're trying to get across. Because, like, no matter how hard you try in the world, you're going to constantly, quote-unquote, eat shit. Like, you're going to fall on your face. Failure is inevitable every single day. Like, it's not going to stop no matter how successful you are, no matter how successful you get in what you want to do. It keeps on coming until you realize, oh, this is never going to stop. It's on me to kind of stop this cycle. Like you said, like continue to build those crappy experiences to the point where you're like, I've been here before. I know what to do in this situation. This doesn't own me anymore. I'm not a slave to this anymore. Agreed. You know, I, I have a joke uh, with a lot of friends. Uh, when someone's like, oh, I have 15 years experience. I translate that as to, oh, you have 15 years of messing up. I definitely want to learn from you. I think that's why when people say experience and the longer someone has experienced deep down, we know that this person more than likely has faced a, a bully or a plateau or whatever you want to call it, or, you know, frame that and overcame it. And that's why we appeal to them, right? That's why we want to learn from them or, find that they have something valuable to share. And so for me, that's, you know, that idea of experiences is just mistakes. And once you are able to develop such a strong resolve, you could have, you could gain the wisdom of making that mistake because that's really the treasure. Oh, I mean, if someone has 15 or 20 years experience in something, not only does that say like, yeah, you went through trial and error over and over and over again. Like I definitely love to pick your brain, but the other Part of that is that they didn't give up. You have 15, 20 years plus experience in doing this and you went through the hell and you found yourself on the other side as opposed to saying, this didn't work after three or four years. I, I'm mentally drained. I have to do something else. You know, like they went through it, you know, because it's what they wanted to do. You talked about imposter uh, syndrome a few seconds ago. How, how can you tell, you know, from your experience when imposter syndrome is apparent and it's visible in someone in something that they're doing? Because it, it's very, I think, uh, you talk about like a double-edged sword. Like you might be someone one day and then six months down the line, you're still pursuing it and you're like, it's not, you're not the same person. Like that's this, you're not showing the same passion. You're not doing it for the same reasons. You know, maybe money becomes involved and all of a sudden you're an imposter in a sense. Yeah. So imposter syndrome 
it happens to everyone, I believe, in some degree. How we express it or how we feel it is different. So some people feel like they're imposters and then they immediately shut down because they feel they're unworthy. Some people are actually live perfectionism and say, oh, uh, I, I, everything has to be perfect. No, that's being an imposter. Nothing will ever be perfect, and believing in that is only keeping you from doing the thing. And then some people are actually overachievers, that they think that they could do it all by themselves, like get out of my way. Some people try to overcome it in a, in a hyper-aggressive way. Um, we see this a lot with uh, athletes like Michael Jordan. It was just like it got to a point where there was so much pressure on the game. He just said, give me the ball and everyone get the F out of the way. And so there's that person too. And so all of them are a form of imposter syndrome. None technically is better than the other because all of them remove you from being your most connected self. Mm. Wow. That, that is a great way of looking at it. Like I, I, sometimes, you know, I'm young. I question myself all the time. Like, am I still doing this because I love it or am I doing it because I've just been doing it for so long? And eventually you start to question yourself and you look at things differently. Like, hmm, like, am I being true to myself? Like, is this really my authentic self talking to, to Angelo right now? Like, you know, sometimes you second guess yourself and then you realize, like, you continue pushing through and you realize you have certain moments, things click and you're like, yeah, this is what I should be doing. And if you don't have those moments, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Right. It's, uh, it's important no matter where you are in this imposter syndrome at the end of the day is just to do. And as long as you're continually taking actions, you're going the right way. Even if it doesn't feel like that effect of that action was the right way because knowing where not to go is going the right way. It just doesn't seem like it is because it doesn't look like it's a forward step in the moment, but knowing not to step left because there's something there that's not good is actually a step forward, even though you had to go back to where you started. Mm. And it's tough to realize that in the moment too, because you're so frustrated, (laughs) you know, like you, you could talk about, you know, starting a business as an entrepreneur, you probably had a ton of growing pains early on where like you were probably questioning like, Oh my God, like, is this really worth it? You know, is this worth the current pain and suffering both mentally, physically, you know, trying to put food on the table and at the same time trying to grow your business and as well as all the people you're working with. Uh, What were some of those tough times and experiences for you early on and how did you overcome them and what were some of those breakthrough moments that kind of made you realize like, yes, this was all worth it in the end. Man, what a great, man, you, you, you tell, you tell people you have imposter syndrome, man, you ask great questions. So let me just tell you that out of the gate. And I really appreciate you. Uh, anytime I, I'm ready to take a real pause and inhale, uh, deep in my belly would someone ask me, I could tell that they are, especially in the podcast space, are um, wonderful at what they do. So I would love to give you that recognition before I answer this. Oftentimes when I was younger, and even now, uh, I resort to the overachiever. And it feels good in the moment to win. But then when you look around and see the casualties that were created in order for 
to win. Uh, to me, it's sad because the casualties are relationships. And so most of the time when I embody the overachiever, I've diminished bank accounts, emotional bank accounts, and trust and love and connection in relationships and just in order to win. And then even when I won, I didn't feel the victory uh, as gratifying as I really thought it would be because I pushed out other people because I may have seen them as weak or not showing up or not committing versus and and having a poor story about them. And that to me is the hardest part for me is going into that overachiever mode and recognizing it enough early on where I'm not tarnishing any relationships along the way because that has been where the victory makes the victory unsweet. What's fun about winning the championship or making all the money if you're just sitting there by yourself. What a boring life. What a terrible life to live. You got a yacht and you're the only one on it. What a shit we'd have a yacht if you ask me. You know what I mean? It's just what right. would what would be the worst thing is got this big boat and all this money and you got no one to play with because you were a dick. Mm. And it's such an important lesson too, especially like I know myself, like I'm constantly trying to overachieve. I, I want to continue to get better every day. Like it's almost like I'm never satisfied in that regard, whether it be building a podcast, building a business, you know, doing whatever it is that we're doing. Like we're, we're constantly in that uh, state of mind where it's like not survival mode, but like literally like how can I outdo myself, which is I think a lot healthier option as opposed to being like, how can I compete and be better than this person? Right. Cause like you should only be competing against yourself at the end of the day. But did you have any of those, um, you know, burned bridges experiences growing up to where it's like, you look back at it and be like, Oh man, like I wish I wasn't that back then. Because again, it is tough to realize it in the moment when things aren't going your way. Absolutely. I, where I really struggled early on in my life was healthy communication, especially when those moments of fear, which then triggers imposter syndrome, turns on, and how I handled that and expressed that. I really, uh, I would resort to attacking someone's character and not really the issue. Mm-hmm and make it more about them and not the issue at hand. And so I would turn from seeing the problem and then seeing the person as the problem versus it just a problem and that person being still a person and not part of the problem because I would get rather cold in those situations uh, and not have my feelings on in order to turn on a hero kind of archetype to, to resolve the problem, but also, too, I would treat the people around me with that same level of coldness. And uh, that's more, as I've grown older, the relationships are something I cherish more than just business success and things of that nature because, like I just referenced, what fun is it succeeding if all you have you by yourself to celebrate it's a lonely life? Uh, I 100% agree with that fact. And I, again, I'm learning as I go along. I'm still just 22 years old. So I'm just kind of figuring out 
you know, like, yeah, sometimes it's very frustrating getting through stuff, you know, like not just, you know, financially, but just working with people, you know, and like having disagreements and trying to figure out what it's best, what's best for business. But at the same time, you're building those relationships along the way. And you don't want to look back and be like, man, that really wasn't that big of a deal. Cause now like we probably could have done great things together, built a great friendship, but I was being petty in the moment, like maybe not greedy, but petty in the sense of just like your ego got involved, which I think is a huge thing that you got to put aside, especially starting out in entrepreneurial studies. It's very interesting you say that being an entrepreneur is also serving your ego. It's the, it's the harmony of serving your ego, yet not letting it be in the driver's seat. Yeah. So I look at my ego as... Uh, a little boy, and I wouldn't let the boy drive the car, but he could come along for the ride. He just has to sit in back. You know, that that to me is how I look at it is, hey, bro, when you're driving this thing, you can't see over the steering wheel and you just throw a brick on the, on the gas and you hope for the best. Sitting back, I'll take care of it from here, but I'm glad you're here because if I'm scared, I need you to help me do some crazy stuff that I'm scared of. Or if there's a challenge and I'm running away from it or shying away from it, whether that be in myself or something that I must let go of, I like you here in my back of my car telling me, no, bro, we got to go get crazy and just hit the gas here, right? And so it's it's a harmony of playing with that because why would you want to advance in life if you didn't have a little bit of an ego, why would you think that you were worthy of stepping out and doing this if there was an ego yet? We don't want the ego to be the driver of the car. I like him in the car, but I don't want him to drive the car. No, I mean, I think that's like the foundation of everything that you want to do. Like your ego is what kind of drives that passion, that foundation and saying like, this is what I can accomplish and I'm going to prove to myself, let alone everybody else that would be doubting you along the way, you know, being an entrepreneur, there's a ton of that, you know, it's like, you really want to do that? Like, that's going to be very difficult. You're not going to enjoy, like, there's going to be a lot of tough times. Like, yeah, definitely. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. And the turnout one day, and you'll see, is going to be awesome. And it is about that balance, you know, building yourself around a team and members who complement each other. It's kind of like a marriage, you know, you probably know that as well, like balancing out each other's and complementing each other's weaknesses so that you come together as a unit, as a team, and it just flows, maybe not perfectly all the time, but it yeah. flows and where you're growing consistently. As long as the values are the same. Yeah. The ta- you don't want the talents to be the same. You want the values to be the same. That's mm-hmm. the key, is alignment and values, weaknesses and strengths should be exact opposites. Mm-hmm. That goes in marriage, any form of partnership there is, as long as we have the same values, then we could let go of the need of control and we could trust each other. And then the things that I'm deficient at and the things that you're really good at don't make you better than me and vice versa. But when the value set is not the same, that's usually where any form of partnership really crumbles and then causes too much friction. Have, have you ever, you know, worked with someone or knew someone personally that you were, you know, in a good relationship with, whether it be friendship or anything else, where you, I don't want to say like 
everybody, like, I feel like you got to surround yourself with good morale, people who hold themselves to maybe not the exact same standards as you do. Like, everybody's different. Everybody's got their own brain, their own DNA. Everybody acts, talks, and walks a certain way. But there's people, like you said, like, if you have the same value, if you're, again, like, the same goal in mind, the same, like, like-minded people, it, it, it works. Like, you're able to figure it out. But have you ever worked with someone who just didn't share the same type of values as you did in beliefs and it didn't crumble the relationship, but you knew you had to step back. Yeah. Recently when I moved out here to California, my original business partner of Alvipi and I didn't, uh, when it got down to the deep part of us, the part that was the most scared, we didn't share the same value system. And and the truth is, is, you know, I tell people in business sometimes uh, hiring is guessing, firing is knowing. Sometimes you got to step into a relationship and trust and surrender to that experience. And you may not find out till you go three, four, five, six, seven levels deep what their, their character really is and what they're really about. And uh, even even now in these these you know unprecedented times that we're living in, how people are reacting or responding to so much about COVID and the economy and things like that, these are just showing of people's values and who they all really were. But when times are good, it's really difficult to see this because they're not really tested. And so until we get to this fear, darkness, state, this unknown, you really don't know because everything you're banking on is what someone said or may have only shown in a, in a highlight reel or in a good time. And so you got to go through life sometimes and be willing to understand that, you know, first and foremost, I, I believe that everyone's not a bad person, just they're not compatible with me, just it doesn't make them bad. They just don't play the game like I play the game. I wish them the best of luck, and I hope they find people that play the game like them, and they're happy the rest of their lives. But if this is the way I play the game, and that's and you play a different way, then it's better off that we're not together in this moment in time. I don't take it personally. Yeah, I feel like that's way more tough at you know telling someone like man like things really went well with just like we're growing in two completely different ways as opposed to like straight up, like you wronged me. Like we can't work together. Like this relationship is dead. You know, like I feel like that's way tougher than going through something where you could just be like, yep, you we're not on the same page. This isn't going to work out, you know? For sure. And I resort, I'm not a perfect man. I resort to turning into a little boy and in the moment at first and saying, you know, go F yourself. I'm never going to talk to you again. And once I get, get that boy from out of the driver's seat and put him back in the kid's seat, I could reason with it better. And everyone has a breaking point and everyone falls off sometimes. The main thing is getting back on the horse and owning your part, taking responsibility and doing your best to mend any relationship in a, in the way that you possibly can. And trying to show up and be better and that's it and let it go because can't hold on to it forever it'll kill you 
in everything that you have um, accomplished in business, as well as just life experiences that you've been able to take away and learn everything that we've talked about here in the last 40, 50 minutes. Uh, yeah, we've been you, talking that long already. It only seems like 10 minutes, bro. We're that's what That's when you know you're really enjoying the conversation, right? It's already yeah. freaking one fifteen almost. Dude. Uh, yeah, the last thing I'll leave you with, I don't want to take too much of your time. I want to get your overall take on what is the biggest life lesson in life today that you are still seeking you know like talk about we've talked about everything that you've experienced to this point and what you've been able to take away from it but at your age you know being again a young father at this point you know things i feel like from what i've heard again i cannot um relate to this uh from what i've heard you know being a father and being responsible for a young child that completely changes your perspective on life and i do want to get your take on what is the biggest thing that you're still seeking knowledge about moving forward in this world that you don't know already? I really believe this goes in all avenues. Uh, is making sure if you're going to choose to have an opponent or an enemy, making sure that it's really worthy. And when I was young, I just, I didn't even think about that. I fought and thought everything was worthy of actually going that severe of a place for. And now as I'm older, I'm a bit more wise in selecting what's really worth my time to go to a place of even considering anything or anyone my opposition. That for me is something that when I was young, I had thought I had approved myself. And therefore, anytime anyone did anything or showed up in a certain way that it was about me having to prove a point or, or you know what I mean, like get into them and not back down or whatever kind of boys thing I had. And in everything in my life, just making sure I'm choosing an issue, an opponent that is worthy of actually addressing and not taking everything so personal, taking things seriously, but not personally. And when I was young, I took everything personally and or the most things personally. And then that created a more aggressive, um, unnecessary version of myself to come out. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's got to take a lot of experiences with the same person to really say, like, we are never coming back from any of this to say, like, all right, like, if I'm going to make an enemy. This is going to be the one. Right. Because it's a tough lift to have any of that because you're carrying that weight. Not not even necessarily they are. And uh, when I was younger, I was definitely more physically strong and, and less wise and uh, physically anyway. And uh, I just use that as a way to just continue to move forward. But like I said, I wasted a lot of energy, had plenty of times of burning out, uh, choosing, you know, wrong things or doing wrong things. And the greatest example I could share with this is I, if I had an issue with someone, by the time I got done trying to address the issue, I was the one in the wrong. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. No, I but, totally uh, get that. You know, that, you know with, from my, my wife and I, when we were early on in dating to business to anything like that, it would, it would start where I was 
I was the one that was wronged. And by the time that conversation happened and was all addressed, I wound up being the wronger, not the wrongy. And that's something that I had to learn from God. I got to tell you, I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. My first real business was 17 and I'll be 38 next month. And I wasted the majority a good 18 years of doing this. Really, this is a real recent thing, you know, probably 2017, 2018, where I actually started giving analysis about the opposition before I took action because I was in such a reactive mode instead of a responsive mode. Mm. So it took me a long time to really understand it because I believe that the game was about being aggressive instead of being assertive. Mm. I mean that, yeah, I mean, at least you learn, like some people never learn that lesson, you know, like it's better to learn later in life than ever. And obviously you're proving that now, like the last 50 minutes of this conversation, again, like it's flown by in 10 minutes, but like just getting to hear your story and your perspective on life, it's really eye opening, and I'd love to unpack it more. Uh, again, like we got to have you out in our studios out here in, in Scottsdale at some point, hopefully we could set up another zoom meeting at some point, Angelo, but I do want to thank you so much for taking the last hour out of your time to, to talk to me here. Uh, and again, I'm going to take a look at your Alpha Hippies, you know, your dream list here and see if I can get you in touch with some of these uh, guests that you want. Because again, from podcaster to, uh, you know, podcaster, content creator to content creator, like we're all trying to help each other out. And I love that you're shooting for the stars. Um, and hopefully, again, we could build off this from here. And I'd love to have you on the show again sometime soon, man. No, absolutely. Like I said uh, earlier, you ask amazing questions and... Uh... To hear that you're only 22 and that you have, you are how I see you right now at 22, uh, you trust me, King, you are far along, far more far along than most 22-year-olds, most 25-year-olds, most 30-year-olds, shit, most 40-year-olds that I know. And so you yourself are going to create and offer things to this world that, I couldn't even imagine for you. And I trust that and mean that from the bottom of my heart. Well, I I appreciate the kind words, man. Again, all I could do right now is plug away, hope for the best and continue trying to be the best version of myself as possible, not only for myself, but for everyone around me. Because again, it like takes all of us. It takes a team to grow something. And you've proven that. And I hope to prove that to people one day as well. So again, thank you so much for coming on, man, and enjoy the rest of your day. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.